On an October day in 2012, I sat with Kamal at his shop in an unprecedented quietness. He was a cheerful and lively person, full of stories and interesting observations. I never had a dull moment whenever I was around Kamal. I liked his optimism. Therefore, when I observed him quiet and almost on the verge of anger that day, I started to understand the meaning of what had happened the day before. A day earlier, Kamal was denied his role in an amateur theatrical performance in the village. The annual religious play, Ram Leela, enacting the life of Lord Rama, runs every night for 10 successive days, ending with the Hindu festival uh, of Tashera. Kamal, in his 20s, uh, would work in his butcher shop during the day and would participate in the play after finishing his work. These 10 days would often be the most enjoyable time for, of the year for Kamal. He really looked forward to play each year. He would share with me his acting trajectory and how he moved from some minor roles to one of the central characters in the play. When the play was running, I often found him rehearsing his dialogues at his shop in between serving, uh, serving his customer. It was, in, it was his usual enthusiasm about the play that was missing that day. The unsettling silence was unusual. As I, as I sat down to write my field notes that night, I pondered about the whole event. Ramdila play is generally a nighttime activity, but due to some delays and the urgency to finish the play on time, the Ramdila committee decided to hold some additional performance slots during the afternoons. In one such afternoon performance, Kamal could not participate as it clashed with his work schedule. He informed the play committee that he could not make it to make it that time, but would rejoin them for the normal night performance. He even personally requested another actor to fill in for him. The afternoon performance happened smoothly with another person substituting for Kamal. However, uh, when Kamal returned for the night performance that day, he was told that he could no longer participate in the play. The committee told him that they had chosen another person and Kamal was no longer welcome. As one of the fellow play participants told him triumphantly, you go do your butcher work, you're not required here anymore. Kamal's dismissal from the play was not due to any lack of enthusiasm, commit, talent, or discipline. Rather, it was a result of an aggregation of feeling of dislike and hatred, uh, which many of the dominant uh, committee members and others held against him. Kamal was from the Khatik Dalit caste, one of the four Dalit castes in the village. He worked as a butcher in the, in the village as a, a caste stigmatized occupation. His work as well as social identity generated great discomfort and distance among many dominant caste people in the theater group. But he was a talented artist and thus would often outperform uh, other actors while auditioning for the role. Only through great effort, assertion and some friendly people in the performance group was he able to retain his role. But his role was never stable like that of many others. The discrimination in many implicit and explicit ways coexisted with his participation in the play. At times he raised his voice against such caste bias and at times he calmly bore it and ignored it. His absence from one important performance thus proved to be the tipping point when the voices against him gathered and expelled him, him from the play. Kamal's butcher identity, as he would emphasize, was the key reason for his expulsion. I want to leave this work. I'm not tied to it. I will leave it as soon as I can get out of it. Kamal would finally speak, giving words to his anger. It was not strange that he did not mention his absence from the performance as the real uh, reason for his dismissal. He vented all his angers toward himself being a butcher, his conventional caste occupation. Being a butcher made Kamal an object of caste insults, slurs, discrimination, and exclusion with varying intensities. It was not the first or the only time Kamal told me that he would leave this work when his better time comes. To leave the meat, uh, to leave the meat occupation was a perpetual aspiration. Furthermore, he was not alone in having this aspiration. In my interaction with other Khatik butchers in Sartapur, most of them had a similar relation to this work. They all wanted to move out of it. Yet, in recent times, there had been a sharp increase in the number of meat shops in the village. Many butchers began this work already with an intense desire to not be in this line of work. 
It was difficult for them to think of fighting the dominant notions attributed to this work and their material, symbolic, and experiential implications. Kamal too, uh, Kamal too continued to engage in this work while at the same time desiring to leave behind this work forever. I start my talk today with this brief and mundane account of discrimination faced by Kamal as it exemplifies the complex nature of social inequality and its everyday reproduction. With my research interest in the issue of microdynamics of social inequality in increasingly urbanizing India, in my broader research, I explored the social life of the Khatik goat butchers in Sartapur, an urbanizing village in North India. According to Hindu social order, Khatiks are quote-unquote untouchables. The dominant caste often speak about slaughtering of animals in the idiom of murder. The butcher is seen as an exemplar of cruelty and heartlessness. Citing the nature of work and, the, and violence involved, people express a strong, a strong contempt towards this occupation. In my research, I take the everyday work life of this stigmatized occupation as my focus and ask the questions. How do Khatik butchers struggle against the dominant discourses uh, um, uh, which link them to the notion of violence and ritual pollution and ultimately construct them as untouchable? Uh, what are the potential as well as limits of their struggle in shaping their material and symbolic possibilities? And how do we understand the state, the market, and the society giving epistemological privacy to practices and experiences of discrimination and stigma? The legal discourse in India have abolished untouchability. Uh, there has been a strong history of diverse and social political protest on the marginalized caste. The Indian state has made some progressive social justice laws for caste marginalized social groups. Yet a large number of Dalit continue to face and negotiate structural as well as lived realities of caste through the Qatarian experience of prejudice, violence, humiliation, and other caste practices. The caste order is reproduced uh, uh, in the spaces between the legal discourses, institutional forms and structures, and the everyday practices. The conventional caste occupations have been central for both the economic as well as the ritual transaction in Indian society. A large number of marginalized caste groups still perform conventional caste activities and low-end works despite numerous socio-political and economic changes in post-independent India. For the Dalit caste, these occupations are the primary sites on which their marginality is constructed, lived, and uh, contested. The link between caste, labor, and work has an inherent tension for the marginalized groups. On the one hand, engagement in this occupation is necessary for them to uh, earn a livelihood, a livelihood and sustain materially. But when the occupation is marked by stigma, this limited material possibility leads to tremendous consequences on social status, which in turn limit their long-term uh, material options. My research is an analysis of the tension between work as a material possibility and work as a condition of stigma and stereotypes. Also, my engagement with the issue of social inequality, the focus on contemporary caste practices, not to suggest that caste as a dominant social order continues without any change, or that it has changed to the extent that it does not matter. Rather, in my exploration, I suggest that how the everyday social life is a critical experiential space where analytics, uh, uh, analytical inquiries about change, continuities, flexibilities, and adaptability of the social order need to be examined. The empirical material for this research primarily comes from my field site, Sartapur. Uh, Sartapur is situated along the planned industrial um, uh, corridor in northwest India and has been influenced by the development of the industrial area in the region. One of the outcome of this uh, development in the area is the increased work opportunity in the informal sector. Butcher work has been influenced by industrialization and migration in the region, leading to a significant rise in the number of meat shops. I examine this increased work opportunity for butchers and what kind of experiences it engenders for them. Specifically, I examine a three dimension of their lived experience. First, I study the social and cultural values through which work of, uh, the work of butchers is conceptualized. Labor understood purely in economic terms gives us a particular understanding of a work. However, the way in which labor operates uh, dif uh, in through different cultural and social formulation provides the lived experience and meanings of la uh, labor and work. Therefore, an inquiry into the social life of work needs to, be caref needs to carefully examine the values through which the, uh, the people conceptualize work and how these values shape the status associated with this work. In this project, uh, I study the different sociocultural uh, values that shape butcher identity and through which the work of butcher is understood. Secondly, I, uh, I study the everyday material struggles of the butchers. 
industrialization and migration in the region have led to the development of the village bazaar, uh, which depend upon access to the space in the bazaar for sustaining their livelihood. But with the dominant ideas of disgust associated with the work, their presence and visibility in the bazaar becomes a difficult issue. Thus, I study their spatial struggles in the new bazaar and examine how cultural values around this work and meat consumption shape their material condition, both in terms of the feasibility of earning a livelihood as well as the everyday working conditions. And thirdly, and this will be the main focus of my later part of my presentation, I examine how the butchers attempt to claim some legal legitimacy through their effort to procure a license for their meat shops. In terms of analytical anchoring, there exists a rich and uh, diverse body of literature on caste, uh, uh, on caste in South Asia. For the purpose of my research, I focus on two uh, contemporary understandings of caste. The first understanding is the claim uh, to view caste as a process of identity assertion and cultural difference. According to this theoretical formulation, caste in contemporary India works not so much as a hierarchical system, but as an assertion of numerous discrete caste identities. Each caste group has a positive understanding of the self in, and as, uh, of the self and its past. This identity, instead of one based on the ritual hierarchy of purity and pollution, is said to become important. Contemporary politics in India and the expression of caste in it is thus explained as a competition and alignment between different castes based on their positive identity assertion. The force of this political process in this view leads to the collapse of caste system and a corresponding rise in the specific caste identities. Secondly, this research engages with the recent understanding of caste in relation to market liberalization in India. This understanding of caste is premised on the assumption that capitalism is beneficial for Dalits. The social identity neutral, market uh, neutral capital processes are assumed to break the caste social structure and thus some observers claim that the deepening of capitalism in India would lead to the possibility of social mobility for the Dalits. Furthermore, this claim, uh, this claim cites certain cases and institutions as markers of the success of capitalism for Dalits. Dalit capitalism, Dalit millionaire, Dalit entrepreneur thus become the keyword for the proponent of this understanding of caste. Scholars have criticized the assumptions of these claims. For instance, Gopal Guru analyzed the rise, rise of few Dalit millionaires and notes how uh, this process is a spectacle with ideological functions. Similarly, uh, Anand Teltunde, studying process of Dalit entrepreneur, has noted how a minuscule section of Dalits uh, benefit from globalization, whereas most of them suffer uh, from existential, existential uncertainties. Studying Dalit in uh, business, Jodhka has also pointed out the numerous difficulties which Dalits have to face while generating livelihood through uh, self-employment. There have been more recent work. Uh, Barbara Harris-White has worked on that. Uh, Asim Prakash has worked on that. David Most has recently tried to uh, theorize caste from the informal economic perspective uh, in, in, in his recent art article this year. So I think these are the two understandings of the caste uh, through which I want to have uh, analytical references. So I'll go through uh, some slides uh, here. So this is where uh, the, that the theatrical group was there, and uh, uh, it, uh, Kamal was excluded from this theatrical performance. This is Ramlila. And in the village, there are two Ramlila, what's called the big Ramlila and the small Ramlila. So big and, Ram, big and small is also a matter of scale, but it's also, uh, uh, it's also an index of caste, which caste participate in which one. So, it, so Kamal was excluded from the, lower, uh, the small, small Ramlila. So this is small Ramlila. And this one is the bigger Ramdila. So the scale is much bigger. There's much, much more money. Which politicians comes in to inaugurate these things? So all this matters. So this is, though it's a religious event, but I think it's a, it, it shapes the local politics very deeply. So this is Ramdila, and uh, this is how it circulated in the local vernacular media, uh, both in English and Hindi. Uh, and uh, I just see it as a social reproduction values through local media. Mm -hmm. So, uh, this is the uh, Delhi Mumbai. Uh, this is a map of Delhi Mumbai Industrial Corridor, and uh, Delhi uh, DMIC is considered as one of the world's biggest infrastructural uh, infrastructural pro uh, project. And I think that there have been some claim that when once it's full swing, it can contribute to about 25% of India's GDP. It can relate to I think 25% of India's GDP. 
And so what this does is that there are lots of investment region and, and uh, investment investment regions and industrial area between Delhi and Mumbai and this is the influence, influence zone. So Sartapur is situated along the north side and north of Rajasthan, it's around there. So it's, Sartapur is urbanizing in, in reference to uh, the, uh, both the planning and the industrialization conceptualized through uh, 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 this partnership between Japanese government and the Indian government. So this is the industrial corridor. And so I think though I'm just talking about Sartapur, but the way I think the things have been experienced in Sartapur would be, uh, there would be lots of similarities along the corridor. So this is Sartapur. Um, Sartapur has a population of around uh, 11,000 people and uh, according to folk demography, there are about at least 30 caste groups and uh, within them there are four castes which are the Dalit uh, untouchable caste and they constitute about 30% of the population. Uh, the industrialization has lots of, uh, and urbanization have uh, expressed through local critiques and one of the critiques would be that uh, the land which had so multiple semiotics, land was mother, land was the giver, has been increasingly, increasingly commoditized. So commoditization of land is a local critique. Also, the migrant workers has come. So migration from all other parts of, uh, not all other, but the eastern parts of India, from Bengal, Bihar, UP, and other parts of Rajasthan within have come in there. And I think that kind of a, um, a migrant who come to the village generates kind of moral anxiety for the, uh, for the uh, local people. So the migrant worker has been, though their uh, economy is, the village economy is dependent on the migrant worker, but the migrant worker is also a moral category that it, it creates moral tension in the village and also with the uh, with the migration there's a lots increase in the non-vegetarian is, is, is a practices which is being critiqued locally so what has happened I think why Sartapur becomes important is that so it is one of the in the village which used to have the old market and because there's so much industrialization and migration there, the market has expanded manifold. The bazaar of the Sartapur has become such a big thing. So that's the only place where lots of retail activities come. And the bazaar, if you just we just see that how capitalism is experienced. So in Sartapur, capitalism is not experienced through a formal kind of possibilities which uh, I think the industries and all these things provide there, but it is through the informality. And the bazaar becomes that space of informality which has led to uh, the, uh, rise in employment. So in some ways, I think the Sartapur Bazaar becomes the Sartapur identity. And everybody wants to have, a, so this is, a, it's, 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 it's growing very rapidly. There are lots of shops and stores and everything. And this is along the central road on the, in the village. So there's a main road along which this bazaar comes into, into its being. So the informal economy has increased many four times. And that's why everybody wants to participate in this informal, informal, uh, informal economy through participation in the bazaar. And the same applies to the, the butcher shops and the, the, the butchers and the, the meat shops. So there uh, they have, that's why there's been significant rise on the, on the so it's also said that in urbanization and industrialization when, when understood at the general level, there will be decline in the caste, conventional caste occupation. What we see here in the practice is that there has been increase in the conventional caste occupation. So I think that's, that's one of the things that there have been significant rise on the same caste practicing their conventional caste occupation. So that's that's there. So and I think just talking about uh, how uh, and this is the symbolic dimension of it. How the um, how how is this uh, labor in the butcher work is being constituted? So what I I, I tend to I mean what I, I I like to analyze it is through the what uh, Bourdieu's conception of symbolic struggle. So there is a dominant conceptualization of this work. The dominant conceptualization follows the line that it's a ritually polluting uh, occupation because then according to the Hindu ideology, the organic aspect of life, uh, organic aspect of life, entails a ritual pollution. And this being uh, uh, dealing with animal and uh, carcass and all these things, so it has a ritual ritual. A pollution connotation. So this sin becomes, I mean, the work becomes a pollution. Okay, this work is also constituted through the ideas of violence. Okay, so when you talk about this, I'm talking about the dominant conceptualization right now. So when you talk about dominant conceptualization, uh, the, uh, the 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 work is defined through the act of slaughtering. Okay, so they'll say it's violence because the whole Khatik identity is the act of slaughtering. This is a very complex identity, but whenever they talk about it, it becomes the act of slaughtering. So there are lexical there the lexical differences between how the uh, the Khadik themselves talk about their work and how the dominant uh, conceptualization is. The dominant conceptualization would be cutting, 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 okay. And the Khadik conceptualization is that to it's in Hindi it's called banana uh, or tayarkana to prepare or to ready. 
All right, so there's lexical differences on how the, uh, the symbolic struggle uh, takes place there. Also, for the dominant conceptualization, this work is conceptualized by erasing the difference between animal and human distinction. Okay, so as if as if to act on animal is same as acting on uh, a human as well. So the dominant conceptualizes erases this distinction. That's why the butcher subjectivity is constructed as a violent subjectivity. You know, and once you construct a subjectivity uh, violent, you can you can it, this can you can you can uh, you can cause so much violence on that violence subjectivity because your violence is in, def in defense uh, against that violence which has been constructed. So it's important that how this focus on uh, the vi uh, violence, uh, the, how the work uh, the, through the distinction between animal and human uh, is erased and that how the butcher, uh, I mean this applies to I think contemporary I mean, time in, in, in politics, we know there's lots of violence against the Muslims in uh, um, uh, India, especially about the, the people who are protecting the cow, the cow protection group. So I think the similar way the Muslim identity, the Dalit identity is constituted as violence, and then the public can, can uh, both physical and symbolic violence can be committed on that. So, and but on the other hand, the butcher identity would be uh, they will not uh, they the, the the distinction between animal human is very central to them. So the mo most of my interlocutor would say that they cannot see the sight of human blood and they will faint. And there have been stories and they're also joking around it that they f they have fainted on the sight of human blood. So I think the animal human uh, uh, would be one. And also. Uh, uh, so this is a dominant conceptualization. But when we're talking about uh, sim uh, symbolic struggle, there's a other conceptualization as well. So how do butchers conceptualize their work, okay? So the, the, the dominant conceptualization that it's, it's, a, it's of impurity. The work is, it requires is pollution and impure. On the uh, other hand, the butchers themselves say that they provide goat meat and in contemporary time, where there's so much discourse about food adulteration and everything, they say the goat meat, because uh, about chicken, it's like steroids being used, lots of medicine is being used. So what they construct goat as the purest uh, form of meat. All right? So that's how they designify impurity to the form of purity. They also give ecological argument that, listen, there are so many, and they'll do their calculation, that there are so many goats here, and if they reproduce exponentially, there'll be so many goats, and they will not have anything to eat, people will not treat them well, they will just be roaming around here and there, and we give them a dignified death. Right? So I think they, when they, on the on one hand, it's talking about uh, killing in the, in the sense of murder, they're talking about euthanasia kind of lo logic. It's a dignified, uh, dignified death. Also, uh, though I did not see this in the dominant conceptualization, but in the butcher conceptualization, they, they, they do employ a very strong biomedical logic about this thing. For instance, one of my interlocutors will say, you know, why India is uh, backward? You know, why is India is not developing? Because India is not eating meat. You know, you eat meat, you will never have tuberculosis. Okay, we have tuberculosis because you don't eat meat. So once we start that having, India will become a very strong nation. So they're invoking a kind of biomedical understanding of uh, nutrition, protein, and uh, uh, I think uh, so the, uh, the diseased nation is because of non-meeting. But I'm not, uh, I think uh, all these counter uh, points by butchers, okay, are counterpoints. It's not a counter ideology. Because for, for counterpoints to become an ideology, you need lots of power, symbolic power, capital power, all, 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 all these things. So though I'm just talking in terms of symbolic struggles, but this is an unfair struggle. Okay, the dominant conceptualization of all, all uh, sources of power, and uh, I think the butcher conceptualization, which exists mostly on the outskirts of the village in Bazaar. So uh, it's an unfair uh, this thing. So that's at the level of social construction of the work. How does it translate into their material condition? So, uh, so this is a, a residential map of uh, Sartapur, and the bazaar is just here. Okay. So, how the conventionally this work was done, like maybe prior to 1990s or 90, uh, uh, that it, it was done it very discreetly in the home. Okay, and there was a uh, so they use the term parda. It, it used to happen in parda. Okay, so but what happens with the migration and industrialization and migration? The clientele, the customers of the butchers have changed. That's why there was rise of increase in the butcher shop because. Uh, lots of migrant workers are the, their, their customers now because they come from different parts of India and they are meat, many of them are meat eating. So that's where it comes. But for to attract to that customer, they need to be visible in the bazaar. Right? So the bazaar is the identity of the, uh, of the village and now they start making special claims on the bazaar. So that's why they, whatever they say that they, if they want to have a, uh, in this business, they want to have shops somewhere here. 
Okay, but because uh, this uh, occupation suffer from uh, lots of bias and uh, uh, objections, and they do not hold the real, I think the, the, the real estate is really, I mean, very expensive here. So the only way they they do is to open their meat shops in what they call ujar. It's an encroachment of the public land. Okay, not on the bazaar, but somewhere about 15, 50 meter behind the bazaar. So that's where. So the location of the, uh, 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 I mean, in theorization of caste has said that uh, uh, the Dalits are uh, not excluded, but are not included as well. So they are. Ex it's not. You cannot say that they're excluded because they're economically central, uh, economically and ritually center, but they are not included as well. I think similar situation map on the spatial struggle as well. So here they are. They are excluded. In the sense, I mean, they, they are included because they're part of the bazaar, but they're not included in the complete sense. So I think there's a, there's a, there's a special reproduction of their, their class logic. So this is their location. But when we talk about Sartapur, we also talk about lots of changes. Okay. So this uh, Sartapur uh, uh, was in a phase of different phase of uh, expanding. So every time uh, the bazaar, every time the bazaar expand, uh, uh, this, the butchers were displaced from this public, uh, the, the village encroached land. So it's an illegal encroached land. So they have the meat shop, meat market there. So every time the bazaar expanded, uh, uh, they, uh, they will uh, be uh, they will be pushed back. It, the, though the disp displacement would be just hundred meter when we cause, when we talk about displacement, we we have a different conceptualized some time. But this is a very intense thing because uh, this uh, uh, intense thing in the sense that uh, when butcher when you talk about their oral history and the uh, you know, the cognition of time, it's, uh, uh, displacement become a cognitive category because uh, we can just say that we experience time in terms of seconds, hours, days, or all this thing. Their cognitive categories, how many times they have been displaced, right? So if we say that their cognition of time shapes their subjectivity, so in that sense, it's, it's very important this the kind of narrative implications of this kind of displacements. And, uh, so, uh, so uh, I think uh, 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 so. That's very important. Also, it's not just a special community; it's a moral community as well. When they constitute the meat market, and because there's internal uh, internal competition between them, they need to create is a moral space as well. That we need to do this to uh, to counter competition between uh, the, what would, what would be the rate and all all these things. So each displacement. Uh, completely changes, uh, com completely, it's not it's, uh, physical breaking as well as the breaking of the moral communi community as well. So, so this is how the, this is the meat market during daytime, during nighttime, and this is a, uh, during a busy winter day. And this has been the history, uh, I mean, the, the map of how the, uh, the meat market have uh, uh, shifted. So in 2002, it was just on that, that the central bazaar of the road, but as it develops, in 2010, it becomes like that. In 2011, it was like that. So this is the meat market here and here. Yeah? And then if you just do it on single map, so this is how it has developed. A government building came, a hotel came, a, a local media newspaper, uh, they came. And this is how and this is the meat market in 2004. And after that, there have been further development. So each, you know, the, the gender chronology from the season, you can just date. Uh, I think the dating kind of thing. So you can just see the layers and layers and layers of displacement. All right. So I'm just going to move to the third aspect of it, where I just talk about how. So they have been excluded socially. They have been excluded. If we just can just say the bazaar is an express expression of market uh, market economy, then they have been excluded through the bazaar. And now I think I'm going to talk about what happens. What's their relation to the state? So some weeks after a new displacement, I once entered the meat market and found myself amid loud laughter. The butchers were in the middle of one of their joking spells. In my initial observation, I found that there were some particular objects which were being used in these conversations. I had not heard, of the, heard the mention of these objects previously. There were numerous references uh, made, to, uh, made to gloves, gowns, caps, and to water supply. All these references had a humor content in them. For example, the reference to gloves generated much excitement amongst them. It was winter and working with the bare hand in cold water in the open space of the meat market was not easy. But the work routinely required lots of cleaning with water. In one such instance of putting one's hand in a bucket of cold water, one of the butchers complained, it is so cold out here, the water is so cold, I don't want to put my hand in it. Hearing the complaint, another butcher quickly remarked, why don't you use the gloves which, were, which you were given that day? 
and started laughing. The rest of the butcher also found the glove remark very funny and started laughing as well. There was a great moment of collective laughter in the meat market that evening. Still not sure what the joke was about, I participated with confused laughter. After some wait, I finally inquired what the joke was about. Bridges, one of my interlocutors, told me that the joke was about their visit to a government camp for getting licenses for their meat shops. What transpired during that visit later became an object of uh, the butcher's great amusement. He emphasized, but to tell you about that camp, bro the camp brother, it was a big joke. <clears throat> what was that puzzling government camp which had produced so much humor in this excluded meat market uh, in Sartapur? It was a winter day when a bit of news spread amongst the butchers in Sartapur. Sanjay, by chance, had met a veterinary doctor from a nearby village who informed him that there was a government camp being held in Alwar for the meat workers. Sanjay inquired for more details and apparently the vet told him that the camp, they would be issuing meat shop licenses. To get a license for their work is a very important thing for Sartapur butchers. The camp thus became an immediate piece of news amongst them. Uh, camp, Shivir, and campaign, Abhiyan, are important local events for accessing the state, where the state and its work are often marked by elaborate requirements and procedure leading to great bureaucratic slowness. Camps are many times used to serve people in an expedited way for a limited time. The state often acknowledges its slowness as an undesirable but inevitable part of bureaucracy and organizes special camp for few days or weeks to expedite the bureaucratic process and provide its function in slightly smoother ways, where multiple departments come together to solve people's problem in one go or single place. Thus, these camps are often examined, uh, imagined to be the moment where a dedicated campaign can address large number of people's problem on a time-sensitive basis. Though these camps serve this function and often enjoy good local media coverage uh, and are also a point of boasting for the government and administration, people often imagine them in multiple ways. They often generate uh, different hopes and aspirations. A camp where the butcher can get a license was important and thus it raised their hopes and led to great excitement amongst them. So as soon as Sanjay returned to the meat market and news was shared with the others, Thereafter, it was collectively decided that they all would go to the Alwar town and get their license. They closed their shop, went back home, uh, they changed their clothes, they collected their different documents, ration card, below poverty line card, voter ID, driving license, or whatever they thought could be asked for. They all reconvened once again in the meat market and then they left for the town. The whole trip, however, turned out to be a big disappointment. As the butchers reached Alwar and started attending the meeting, they soon realized that it was not a camp for applying for a meat shop license, but the event was a day-long uh, training session workshop for the best work practices for the butchers. The National Meat and Poultry Processing Board, an initiative of the Ministry of Food Processing Industries, organized the event. This is how Brijesh narrated his experience from the event. <clears throat> so this is Brijesh. Oh, we went there thinking that this time we perhaps will get a license. We thought that all the government officers would be there and if this was a special camp for us, then we should be able to get it without much trouble. Or even if we could not get it immediately, we at least wanted to apply for it to start the process. But the meeting was something totally different. There was no license to be given. Nobody was talking about license there. Earlier, we did not understand what was happening there. But then someone started telling us how to be a good butcher. We sat there and listened to the presenter. He was teaching us how to do our work with safety, that we should not slaughter a disease or dead animal, that we should, not, we should cover the meat, that we should dispose of the trash properly, and then we should wear gloves, gloves, coat, caps while working and such things. These things are okay, but you know, one should do this work like this. But you see, we do not even have a proper shop, so how can we even think about following this suggestion? We need a shop first and then only we can try to work like this. We don't have a license or a stable place, then how can we work like that? In the end, we all looked at each other and smiled. It was such a big joke on us. 
मारो इतना बड़ो मजाक मानो वी लेफ्ट आर वर्क डे ट्रेवल्ड एंड स्पेंड मनी एंड वट वी फाउंड इन द एंड दट देर वॉज नो लाइसेंस और इवन मैं The event, the event thus was a state's pedagogical practice for creating awareness about the safe work practices for the meat shop. It was not a camp where they could get a license. So when the butchers laughed at this event, or when Bridges, for instance, noted that it was such a big joke on us, the humor content of it can be analyzed at different levels. Simply put, this joke, uh, this becomes a joke through the misinformation about the event or misinterpretation on the part of the butchers about the event when they receive the news about the event. Yeah, thus this gap between the expected event and the actual event shaped the joking content of the whole situation. Yet, uh, this cannot be viewed solely in terms of misunderstanding on the part of butchers. The numbers and complexity of bureaucratic procedures, the lack of clarity or transparency on this complexity, the limitation of education on the part of people accessing the state, and the absence of state agent and their indifference often transform bureaucracy at the local level into a complex puzzle. So it is not an unreasonable misunderstanding on the part of butchers. Furthermore, uh, <clears throat> furthermore, often it happens that people accessing the state. do not know what and when something can work out for them thus someone in need of some particular work uh, often goes to many remotely related or even unrelated state events with their request applications letters and hoping that by some chance their work would be done for instance i observed in uh, observed uh, this numerous time during the district collectors or subdivisional magistrate or other bureaucratic officials visit to sartapur these visits were very specific in nature for instance the inauguration of a new building but people brought all kind of issues applications letter and request to be submitted to the visiting official and seek time with them for some action and help thus for the butchers the gap between what they understood the event would be and the actual event itself did provide joking content but it was also shaped by this practices of accessing the local state through high hope that perhaps their work would be done somewhere somehow secondly the joking content of the event is constituted through the gap between another set of assumptions and their actualities the pedagogically oriented event made numerous assumptions about the material and working conditions of the butchers the workshop and the presentation were premised on the assumption that the butchers are materially capable of imp- implementing good safe working practices and thus only need a good knowledge of what needs to be done and how so the presentation becomes a long monologue of do's and don'ts predicated on the assumption that once told and shown they will be able to incorporate these safe practices in their everyday work for instance the pedagogue at the event asked them to have proper drainage a running water supply water cover dustbin gloves and masks sanitize tools etc the event becomes a joke uh, for the butcher because the assumption made in it were not only incorrect but they were so contrary to their working realities that these prescriptions and ideal practices were not taken seriously by them as mentioned earlier the meat market exists outside the village in the bazaar where most of this condition could not be met or as they said ki ye to aisa yahan ho hi nahi sakta this is not this is impossible to do it here that the butcher struggle for a stable location and shop and they struggle to get some legitimacy through license seems to seem so far removed from the conditions and abilities imagined by the workshop that their normal reaction to the whole event was to treat it as a joke the joke did not end that day with the end of the event it had a long after life in the meat market where it ran in different iterations it was in one of this repetition of this joke in the meat market that i found myself amid loud laughter after the workshop each butcher was given a small set of goodies to take home with them it included one pair of glove one face mask one butcher overcoat and some other similar thing though these objects were given as a token of uh, successfully participating in the workshop they became object of repetition of the jokes in the meat markets oral discourses through the change of meaning associated with this object each mention of this objects generated great laughter thus for instance when one of the butcher remarked to use the gloves <laughs> remarked to use a gloves on the complaint of water being too cold it was this workshop license event which was invoked to constitute this joke 
Furthermore, there was a change of meaning involved through this process. The glove was meant to prevent biocontamination of meat leading to vulnerable consumption. Whereas uh, when the butcher interlocutor formulate their joke around the gloves, they transform its meaning from protection against contamination to protection against the chilly weather condition in the excluded open space where the meat market is actually located. This transformation of the use and meaning of gloves foregrounded the materially minimal conditions of their work against the state's assumption of ideal working condition. So in the sense, the, the real object of critique that day was the state's assumption and apathy towards them. The laughter that evening was directed at the state and its absences. So while the references of these token objects were very creatively used in the meat market to construct their joking practices, the physical objects themselves, on the other hand, were taken very seriously as concrete evidence of their participa participation in the state event. Often when the state extends formal recognition to the hitherto informal set, uh, settlements or practices, it demands that for qualification, the residents of the informal settlements or work prove their history of engagement with the informality uh, through different documents. Marginalized social groups seeking such formal recognition thus are very careful in collecting all possible related or unrelated documentation as they do not know for sure which exact document or thing could prove their qualification and their history. Following similar practices, these objects, glove, mask, cap, etc., which the butcher received from the workshop event, became important pieces of documentation of their history. Uh, a documentation of their history of informality, which they hoped someday might become useful if their shops were ever considered for formalization. Thus, Ashok, one of my interlocutor, for instance, brought these objects home and stored them safely in a file with other government documents and IDs the token physical object thus became a part of butcher's self-maintained records. So I pause here for a moment to reflect on how uh, a simple bureaucratic process of obtaining a license could lead to such complex everyday practices. To understand this, uh, one needs to delve into the structural functioning of this occupation in Sartapur. One aspect of this is to understand the heightened aspiration uh, of the butchers to procure a license for their work. Why are, they, why are their discourses so dominated by license talks? The workshop had happened two weeks after the butchers went through a forced displacement. Their eagerness and extended effort to procure a license was in the light of this major disruptive event in their work life. With a fresh experience of spatial uncertainty in the bazaar, they were looking out more fervently for some legitimacy for their work. A license was seen as this form of legitimacy. During the displacement, I asked my interlocutors, how can the police just displace the meat market just like that? I wanted to know the reason they were given when they were asked to shut down their shops and move away from that location. If the encroachment of the common land, the village land, was the issue, then there were numerous other cases of elite and marginalized encroachment thriving in the bazaar. Also, the meat market generally shifts back again to another encroached, encroached land about 100 meters away from the, their previous location. Thus, the illegality of encroachment per se was not the complete reason. I knew that there was a general uh, a social hatred towards this work, but wanted to understand how it translates and gets communicated uh, and, and gets communicated at the moment of displacement. Or in other words, how does the objection, the social objection, as an interaction category between the butchers and the dominant caste gets its force to displace? So I asked them, why can't, we, uh, why can't one tell police that this is your livelihood and that you will not shut the shops? The butchers had a quick answer. License naya We do not have a license for this work. So license is a key aspect of butchers' interaction in the social space of Sartapur. From the very beginning, I observed that a, that a license was the most common and frequent issue that the butchers talked about. There are numerous expressions of this term varying in intensities and use. For instance, the license talks become very important and more regular during the moments of displacement. The immediate illegality of their work is constituted through the lack of license and thus the butcher feel their legal vulnerability when the police or any other officials order, uh, order them to shut down their shop. They do not challenge this order, for their work is normalized as illegal. Thus, to counter this illegality, uh, Ill illegality uh, gender strong intent in them to procure a license. These license talks come into being as an interac 
interaction with the official discourses and agent, the police being one. In addition to this official interaction, the license inquiries shape their vulnerability and anxiety in everyday routine social interaction as well, shaping intercaste relations. In such everyday experiences, the absence of license is felt through a more generalized social force where the other people, generally who have a dislike for this work in the bazaar, ask or challenge the butcher on their legal legitimacy for their work. For instance, in the interviews, my butcher interlocutor complained that how the general public keep asking them if they have a license or not. So when I asked Matadin, one of my interlocutors, how he responds to this inquiry by non-official general public, this is how he replied. It depends. Sometimes I just very assertively say, why are you concerned about it? And they don't bother further. Sometimes I just tell them that we have been working here for since long time. And sometimes I just lie confidently. Yes, I have a license. Do you want to see it? But yes, people do raise objection on our work and many times ask us about the license. We want to get a license but do not know how. The different responses by Matarin are dependent on who asked him the license question. If some unknown person from another village inquires about it, he may try lying about possessing one. But if someone from the village who knows about uh, the butcher's status and the illegality asks him, then he might invoke the duration of their work at the location to gain legitimacy for its absence of legal legitimacy. Sometimes he would say that it is their caste occupation and does not, that, that, therefore does not require a license. Such questions about license are not merely some informative inquiry but can have severe implication for the existence of the meat market as well as the local politics. Butchers often guard against such uh, questions and they know the importance of these indirect queries that are targeted towards foregrounding their illegality. Thus my interlocutors would often complain that they are tired of people, village people calling their work as illegal or calling them as thieves. In many times in the local, local language it is said that tum to ye kaam chori se karte ho with a connotation of theft. It becomes a term for delegitimizing this work. And many of my interlocutors would explicitly note that it is not that people who are concerned about the license per se, rather it is because they have a moral and physical hatred towards them. So one of the most surprising thing which I found during my field work was that at the discursive level, I found that there were a lot of talks about the meat shop licenses. The butchers would talk about it, the local administrative officials uh, talked about it, the police talked about it, the village elected head talked about it, the different political parties and their workers talked about it, and the general public talked about it. And that there was a discursive profusion of the idea of the license. However, I did not meet even a single butcher who, ever, who has ever been issued a meat shop license. I was intrigued by this discursive profusion on the one hand and the complete actual absence on the other. Also, on the other side, I did not hear other shopkeepers in the Barsartapur Bazaar talk about or imagine their work in terms of license so often. It was not that the local administration was absent as, if, as I did find the government food authorities raiding some grocery and sweets shops to get samples for checking for food adulteration during war for purity campaign. However, I did not hear of, hear of a license as a critical issue for the other shopkeepers. Yet when it came to the meat shop, the license as an issue attained much bigger proportion. So I thus wonder that what laws and rules shape this work in the local context and what can explain this heightened use of legal category for their work. Sarpanch, the elected village, head, uh, village council head, derived his or her power, legitimacy and responsibility from the Rajasthan Panchayati Raj Act 1994. The act in its spirit and text is considered a landmark act towards the decentralization of power and administration with the vision of bottom-up development planning. The rules formulated to apply the act provide numerous power to the Sarpanch to plan and execute various schemes. It allows for a creative local administration for inclusive opportunity for the marginal, marginal social groups. However, the rules and laws in the formal legal sphere do not match the power and complexity of everyday life. Understanding the laws while in the field and observing and comparing the social and political complexity provided me important insight about the immense gap what should be and what could be or uh, as and the what is or has been. Reading the Panchayati Raj Act made me rethink of Sartapur as a legal space. Though the imagination through this act was highly abstracted, simpler, coherent as compared to the everyday practices shaped by this law. It was important to view the social space as an interaction with ideally imagined legal space. 
I had a general inter interest in how this act shapes the local civic function, but I was uh, particularly interested in how how does it facilitate the conduct of local businesses in bazaar, and what section of these law could be related to the conduct of the meat shops. I was looking for a reference to the license and its condition. I did find in the text of the law, uh, text of the act, one reference to meat. In one subpart of the section, the law provides the power to panchayat through a bylaw to regulate the place of meat, a uh, uh, place meant for sale of meat. The following is the um, relevant section. There are a few things which I found striking in it. <clears throat> Firstly, it is important that the meat is a legal category appearing in a section. Okay. If we go by how many particular food categories were foregrounded in this general local government law, it was significant that meat appeared in the text of the law as a more specific case of food category. Thus, it makes a distinction as compared to other food products transacted in the village space and the bazaar. Secondly, it is also important to examine the structure of, structure of its occurrence in this text. Thus, it was meant that it was meat or fish and wine which were clubbed together in the act. You know, the last one, yeah. This indicates continuity in the way these products and processes exist in the oral discourse, oral social discourse, as well as the written legal discourses. Meat and alcohol are generally uh, suffer a greatly stigmatized coexistence in the social moral discourses. Okay? And more importantly, uh, the low caste lowness is constituted through their food practices in meat and alcohol consumption. The term mass madira meat and alcohol, has a severe connotation of lawness and moral degradation through dominant categorization in Sartapur social space. Thus, it is a significant matter to examine this as a social continuity of linking two categories in the legal text. Thirdly, it is also important to examine the space, the space of the meat in this text in relation with other things it indexes. A cursory reading of this section would indicate the, the relations through which meat is understood. The dominant here, idiom here is that of danger. For instance, the use of the term danger, contamination, discharge, waste, sanitation, disposal of dead bodies, encroachment, etc. situates meat in a meaning relation of danger and contamination. The moral values around meat get linked to the physical ritual fears of danger and contamination. And finally, uh, meat through its presence in this particular section get predominantly situated in the idiom of prohibition, prevention and regulation. For instance, while reading this act, it was important that it was a section 104 in the law where the term regulation or prohibition of panchayat were mostly concentrated. Thus, the presence of meat in relation to prohibition and regulation renders it a strong uh, uh, category for legal containment and management as compared to some people would argue as a category of social justice. The understanding of the law uh, was useful, but it still did not explain the pursuit of license for the meat shop and its condition. It did inform me that Panchayat, through the Sarpanch as its elected head, was the authority that regulates the place for the meat shop. And thus, very hopeful, I took my inquiry to the Sarpanch in Sartapur. Amar, a man in his early 40s, was the Sarpanch when I met him the first time. He came from a politically powerful family in the village. Many members of his family have been the Sarpanch of the village during different towns. He belongs to a Brahmin dominant caste uh, community. With his own experience in the village administration as well as long family engagement with the local affairs, he was a person who would know in detail the, pro the conduct of this work. So once I asked him for a meeting, he was very amicable and offered to talk to me saying, come to my office and we can uh, talk there with ease. So on the appointed day, I reached his office and sat in a chair opposite to his table while he was working on some files. He had sent someone to get some tea for us. The tea was delivered and served in small cups. Start having the tea and I will just finish this last bit of work and then we can talk, he asked me. I took a few sips of the warm tea and looked around the office. He was soon done with his work and picking his cup, he started the conversation. I thanked him for offering, uh, offering me some time and told him about my research. He shared with me that he had done an MA in English and he switched to speaking in English with me. His English was good, but it seems uh, slightly out of practice and the soon switched back to Hindi. Once settled in the conversation, I asked him about the meat shops. I've been hearing about the issue faced by the Khatik butchers in the village. They often talk about license for their work. I was wondering what your thoughts on it are. I, I posed my question. 
yes they are doing their work uh, but let me tell you about this village in you know, why it is special he completely switched the topic and he pointed towards the framed photo hung on the wall behind his chair can you read what is written in that photo he asked me i cannot see but i see you in the picture receiving an award i replied yes this village is the recipient of the award for the cleanest village there are only very few villages villages all over india which get this award and i got this award for sattapur he noted with great delight with the award he started telling me about the various vikas karya development works he has done during his tenure my initial inquiry about the meat shop was lost in talking to, uh, was lost in his discussion uh, about his contribution to the village he talked about the cleanliness of the village and the step he has taken to maintain it i again tried to situate my question in this general discussion about cleanliness and sanitation but every time i found that my query about the working conditions and provision of bushel work were treated as non important thus the generous time which he, uh, amar offered me in his office became a long discussion on cleanliness and sanitation in the village Uh, the two impression which i got here the the impression that i the first impression i got here was that from my effort to seek clarification from the sarpanch was that the meat shop and license were not that an important issue for the sarpanch in the hierarchy of development works in the village furthermore i was intrigued by the fact that my mention of the meat shop which is associated with the uh, notion of ritual uh, and physical pollution the response was in terms of cleanliness and sanitation that is associated with the notion of purity in short the butcher's livelihood issue which needed to be approached through a social justice sensibility became an issue of sanitation where the butchers were seen as ruining and defiling the cleanliness of an award winning village without much success in understanding the applicability of law for butcher work or how the sarpanch regulate this work i took my inquiry to krishnalal a dalit activist and a social worker based in jaipur the state capital this uh, this was my conversation with uh, kishanlal so i asked him i have been hearing about the issue faced by the butchers in the village they often talk about license for their work i was wondering what your thoughts on it are no at the le- at the level of village uh, village meat shop one sorry no at the level of village meat shop does not need a license what one need is a, just a permission from the sarpanch and that is all what is needed license is applicable when it is a municipality that is an urban local body it does not apply for the village panchayat the rural local body this was krishna uh, so the quick conclusion of my inquiry about the license was that technically the butchers do not even require a license to work in sattapur their work according to the legality of the law was not illegal krishnalal's clarification provided me a clear answer but it was not uncommon to have some confusion around what is applicable and what is not sartapur was going through changes it was from it was an urbanizing village so there are lots of uh, urban rural uh, urban town categories also comes in there so it was a village but it was urbanizing so i also wanted to examine the municipal uh, rules applicable for the local or uh, uh, applicable applicable for the urban local bodies i took my license query there to find the conditions for procuring a license for instance the jaipur municipal corporation has fixed by laws for issuing a meat shop license it requires that the slaughter uh, the municipal slaughterhouse is the only place where the slaughtering of the animal goat and sheep can happen only a person with a license can access this facility at the slaughterhouse the documents required for applying for a license includes voter id ration card shop address and lease agreement and shop tax receipts furthermore there are many stipulation and condition that need to be fulfilled and maintained for instance there are fixed timing for using the slaughterhouse and the carcass can be removed only before 6 am and after 6 pm so though i found the process of application and the condition under which one can procure it i was again surprised to read the condition in relations to the way sartapur butcher conduct uh, butchers conduct their work the condition for getting a license and to conduct one's meat shop according to this condition are paradoxically impossible for them there is no municipal slaughterhouse nearby which they can access the scale of their work is such that the transportation transportation cost for uh, from a slaughterhouse to their shop might eat up all their earnings furthermore the timing of the slaughterhouse does not match the need for their work in the village that operates more on an ad hoc basis and demand 
the document required for licenses would disqualify the butcher in the meat market for they do not have a shop with a valid permanent address so in short on most of the the conditions and stipulation outlined in the license by law they would not qualify for receiving a license and this is the central paradox where here which explains which explains butcher's existential condition and why they may never be able to procure a license if any of the butchers were able to meet the material resources required to qualify the preconditions of a license they would not be engaging in this stigmatizing occupations to start with right or in other words if they were rich enough to be able to fulfill the condition of the license or meat shop uh, they would not be in this occupation and thus would not need the license also it is not that the butchers are not aware of this condition some of my butcher interlocutor recognize many of this condition for procuring a license and that they do not qualify for them yet there remains a high aspiration hope of procuring a license somehow thus it does make one think why then there was so much talk about the meat shop license in sartapur the license does not do a legal function in sartapur as my analysis tried to show here that the license is in fact working for the dominant social morality and value which requires a separation and exclusion of stigmatized ontologies on the margins of the village and its famous bazaar license though uh, is a license though is a very important instrument for value neutral state and bureaucracy but in sartapur it seems it has been appropriated by the dominant social order to serve a very important caste function thank you